Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. We are those people. I'm Mike Bowden, just still joined by Joanna Marsh. And Joanna, you interviewed Track Intermodal CEO Dan Walsh and wrote it up for the site. Tell us about that. Yeah, I did. Yes. Um, so, uh, so Track Intermodal, um, so Chassis provider, and so just wanted to get his thoughts on, um, you know, Chassis availability. As you know, there was that big crunch in, in chassis availability was kind of during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. I just wanted to see, um, you know, how that market is looking like now, you know, if, if, if there is still a capacity crunch or, or you know, or uh, can we breathe a sigh of relief or, you know, is, is that, you know, uh, how will demand for chassis look like in the future? So that's, uh, that's essentially what the Q&A is about. You know, please check it out. Yeah, it's really a critical question. Uh, I mean, I hear from a lot of shippers that would like to use more intermodal. And, uh, you know, there's one, you know, more, more than one, uh, you know, shipper that we talked to on a regular basis that uh, he had to go back and forth between using either more intermodal or less intermodal the last few years. Now they're using a little bit more intermodal because the surveil service has gotten better. They used a little less the past couple of years. There was one CPG company specifically that took, uh, you had to go into some of these rail terminals in Chicago, pull their containers out of the rail terminals, put them on the highway. Uh, because the service was that bad going back, you know, a year or two. And 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 now they're using more intermodal. We also hear from other companies that look to um, use more intermodal, but the service has to be consistent. So they would use it, for instance, from the port of New York, New Jersey into Chicago, which, you know, can, can go on the highway in two days. Whereas intermodal, if it was three days every time on the dot, they'd use intermodal all day long. But it's, they don't have that, that degree of re reliability. So a big part of that is having the equipment um, in place. And so you asked uh, you know, Dan about that. I mean, there were some interesting things that um, you know, I took away from, from your uh, article. And you, know, you asked him if a chassis shortage could happen again, like you had in, in 2021. And he, he pointed to kind of the bullwhip effect, how it was so unusual, the market was so unusual, where you had um, you know, constraints with getting imports, and then you had the huge surge in imports, and sort of that that those market conditions created, you know, at least contributed to a large degree of the congestion, uh, combined with not having enough, um, you know, labor availability at things like warehouses to unload and unload the containers. So it was kind of the perfect storm of of market conditions. But then they said, sort of, in addition to the market conditions, the other reason why you know those those market conditions may never repeat. So that's why you might never ha never have a, a chassis shortage to that degree. Um, but then in addition. The company's made a tremendous amount of investments, adding new chassis, you know, upgrading those chassis, refurbishing them, um, et cetera. So a combination of those two things, which hopefully uh, we don't have that type of uh, congestion again. Yeah. And, you know, and and he had also mentioned, you know, some other points, too, about, um, you know, e-commerce not necessarily going away, even though you haven't heard as much about it because, you know, of, of the, you know, 
is there a, a um, what do you call it with consumer spending? Is there, you know, is there more hesitation buying patterns? But uh, that's not to say that, you know, that that's uh, for better, for worse. <laughs> that's that's a that's a, you know, a long term sort of uh, hesitation. So. Um, so yeah, I, I, you think about if e- e-commerce isn't going away, but in fact will continue to evolve, and, and and consumers will continue to demand that sort of uh, um, that 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 quickness in 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 deliveries. You know, like how does that, of course, you know, inter- affect um, uh, intermodal and, and chassis availability there? So that's, I guess, the other factor um, in addition to. Um, the, the investments that the track intermodal and, and other like companies make um, with their with their assets. Yeah, that's one of the questions I get is is how does e-commerce impact intermodal? And you know, here some people think it's a negative for intermodal because e-commerce demanding those goods so quickly, you need sort of the high service levels associated with with truck. And you get, you know, more of those, um, those goods, you know, close to where the consumer centers are, so even closer than they would be at, um, you know, sort of a regional distribution center is more like a local fulfillment center to get it to you same day within a few days. But, you know, I think, um, you know, overall, I mean, it's sort of more e-commerce. A lot of that stuff is kind of impulsive spending. So at least the more consumption overall, you do have to consider that, um, you know, UPS is the single biggest uh, intermodal customer. So the growth with e-commerce contributes to, to their volume. Uh, you know, a lot of Amazon packages move intermodally too. So to, to a large extent, I mean, th- those companies are trying to get those goods in place, anticipating what consumers spend before they spend it. So just the fact that it's, it ultimately uh, is in a fulfillment center that's within a couple of miles of my house, I order it, I get it in you know, an hour or two. It took a long, you know, it was a long way to to to, to get there, and, and still may have moved uh, intermodally, even if it wasn't the, the the final mile. So I think that was a good point. He also had some interesting thoughts on just the overall intermodal market, and I'm going to uh, talk about a few highlights here. So he says he expects an eight percent increase in intermodal volume um, from your articles from from the first half of 2023 to the first half of 2024. So you sort of bring up a sonar chart of inter- international intermodal volume. You can sort of see why that is, where you see the white line in, in 2023. So it really sort of started the year off pretty depressed. And a large part of that was 2022, you had fall off in international intermodal volume. These are basically 40-foot containers, 20-foot containers that were loaded. You started to decline throughout last year because of the fall in, in imports, so that translated to you know depressed International intermodal volume. So he's saying, you know, expecting that to, to rebound some next year, eight percent increase, and that that eight percent increase could be even stronger in the second half of of twenty twenty three. So, um, you know, so they're sort of anticipating, you know, some degree of rebound. And they talk about how they've spent north of a billion dollars in recent years to get the equipment in place, which is not only buying new chassis, but there's a lot that get, that can be done as far as upgrading and refurbishing, you know, old chassis, adding things like safety features, you know, having the right you know, tires, all, all of those things, um, you know, having those in place. And so expecting near term, um, so near term, he's, he's you know, reasonably bullish on next year. And then uh, looking out longer term, there were some interesting comments on that too. So you know, he believes still that Intermodal is a GDP plus grower. And so if you sort of look at the, the GDP outlook as being uh, 
compound annual growth of let's say 1.7 to 1.8%. So not a tremendous amount of, of, of um, economic growth, but he thinks that uh, intermodal will grow something more like 3% a year, sort of cites how historically from let's say 2000 to, to 2020 grew about twice the, um, the GDP growth rate, even though in the last few years that outperformance has sort of slowed down and I thought those were interesting comments. And, and, and actually, I've heard that, I guess, more, more of the people that we've had on this show still tend to, to view intermodal as a, as a growth area. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just interesting just how it just, well, I'm, this sounds like the obvious comment of the, of the week being, but that's just you know, how it just kind of cycles up and down. And, and I'm just thinking about just a few years ago about, you know, intermodals that would be next. Um, the savior of rail volumes, and then of course, right after that was that you know, Jake's. Then you have it, you know, the rail volumes all together. But uh, I mean, I, I guess you know, you kind of harkening back to what we were talking about last week with um, with all the intermodal related partnerships that the Class One railroads uh, have. Um, you had mentioned, of course, the NSF's um, project um, in the Western U.S., and then. Was it now like um, Norfolk Southern and, and and well, yeah, between you and know, Norfolk Southern and BNS uh, or sorry, Norfolk Southern and the Pacific and, and CSX and CN. So you you know all of those class one railroads are you know are are um, uh, you know announced those those various partnerships uh, last week and to I mean that itself um, shows that you know they see some some future. Um, in intermodal, if not necessarily you know, for this year, then sometime um, uh, over the course of next year or however long. Yeah, we have a, a sonar chart to the that, that speaks to the competitive nature between truckload and intermodal volume. And so, what we have here is domestic intermodal volume loaded containers in green from a company that processes the weight bills. So it seems looks like kind of a flat line, but it's not so so flat sort of with the, with the scale there. And then you're comparing this to long haul outbound tender volume index. So those are requests to, to move loads. This could be accepted or rejected. So it's not completely apples to apples, whereas the, the green line is loads that were actually moved. So the, the, the tightness in the market, um, in, in the truckload market from late 2020 to early 2022 amplifies that white line uh, demand for for long haul um, movements on the on the highway nevertheless you do see how starting in late 2022 to late late 2020 there it see, appeared that the truckload market took share from intermodal uh, volume you saw the, the heightened um, up long haul up a tender volume index to find that as, as being over 800 miles and sort of that that period of tightness there from late 2020 through 2021 really represented uh, truckload taking share. It seems like every time we go through a period of truckload tightness, we say, well, the intermodal missed this great opportunity to to take all this share and be sort of the relief valve in the, the transportation network that never seems to really materialize. But I think the good news for intermodal, it does seem to have gained um, you know, at least some, some of that share back uh, here lately. And those lines seem to be more in in line um, you know, here in 2023, sort of s- suggest um, you know, maybe we're, we're starting to get uh, service levels that are better. I've heard that from a few, you know, CPG companies. And then, um, you know, this latest surge in, um, if you want to call it a surge, in early fall, more of that's gone to, to, to truckload. Uh, so you see sort of overall, you, you kind of look at that and say, well, Intermodal hasn't done any better 
in total than than than, than truckload has. Um, but but maybe that changes uh, going forward. Uh, Want to move on to another article that I think is really important. I want to highlight um, was was written by Greg Miller, and he's talking about exporters, which I think anyone who um, is involved in the rail carload business and I suppose on the export side will want to read this article and it really sort of draws this, this contrast between export, um, the export market on the ocean and the import market on the ocean. I mean, we tend to, to focus more on imports. Um, there you can see a picture of Greg's article, which is up on the site. And for exports, container shipping still far from what we think of as being the pre- COVID uh, normal, um, talking about how container rates uh, for U.S. imports have normalized while exports have not, have a sonar chart um, that, that's, that speaks to, to, to that. And so what you see here, this is the Drury World Container Index. On the left is Shanghai to Los Angeles, so, so imports. And then on the right, we have reverse of that, LA to Shanghai. You see on the left how rates, um, and these are spot rates, uh, have basically gone a round trip from the pre-COVID uh, levels, which is about, let's call it in round numbers, uh, 2,000 per 40-foot equivalent unit, went all the way up to peak of 13,000 and gone back to 2,000. To and then on the right, you see these are the um, the export rates on the ocean from you know LA to, to Shanghai, went from about 500 um, all the way up to 1,500, back to 839. So, st- so still far more expensive to move containers into the U.S. than um, to, to, to export them from the U.S., which makes which makes sense. U- U.S. big, um, you know, we import a lot more than we than we export. A lot of those containers that move outbound are empty. Uh, Greg said in his Miller about uh, said in his article about thirty nine percent of the containers moving outbound are um, are loaded, and 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 the rest are empty. And then uh, what's interesting also is he goes on to say, well, those those rates. You know, are you know, so you have a similar pattern on the contract side. He has some data in there from Zanetta, which shows the the the, co- the contract rates. Similar pattern, still elevated for exports, and then goes on to say, well, you know, the the, the rates are an issue for exporters, but they're not even the biggest issue. The issue that's bigger than that is related to things like detention, demerge charges, all those accessorials, and then just poor service levels. And so, um, you know, exporters of things like, uh, you know, grain, you know, bulk products, there's a lot of, you know, scrap, you know, waste paper, those type of sort of lower, lower value items are, are what tends to be exported. Um, I think those exporters are having a harder time, uh, which is all related to an article that you wrote up recently on uh, grain exports and how those are depressed, have a sonar chart. On that, and um, you know, what were, what were the, the big reasons for, for for that? Again, I think there were there were a, a few reasons: global market conditions for some of those um, some of those uh, commodities. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just um, uh, I mean, the the, the carloads will, will pick up, you know, with the fall and winter here. But um, but uh, you know, um, Argentina and and Brazil, for instance, have been like really um, uh, viable. Um, rivals, uh, you know, for, for exporting soybeans. And then of course you have the Black Sea region, um, in Europe, uh, for wheat exports. And so there's just, even though, um, let's see, I guess even though it's, those aren't necessarily, you know, brand new competitors, um, they've been around for a while. I, I think just, 
the um the the increase in, in volumes that they've had there just, just the the success that they've they've had um in those um regions um just you know makes for more competition um for us grain so that's I, I, that that was one of the the big factors kind of looking on and then i think the other one is too is um um the 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 domestic production of biofuels. I mean, you, you have, of course, more corn going to, uh, you know, to domestic ethanol production, but then you have, um, you know, an anticipated um, increase of production for biodiesel. So, you know, what does that mean for um, oil seeds that will, uh, you know, be, be uh, not, not be going to export, but will rather, you know, be going to domestic plants. Yeah, it does seem like it's going to be a hard, um, you know, quarter for the for the railroads when they re- when they report next month. I think the volumes have not surprised anyone to the to the upside. I thought Union Pacific really was was um, you know sort of guiding down numbers um, at the the analyst meeting uh, last week, largely due to volume. Intermodal volume has been weaker than expected, and even some of those those bulk volumes like we were showing. Um, weaker than expected. I want to move on to another article that uh, you wrote, um, Union Calls for Safety Review After Fortunate uh, Death of a CSX uh, Carmen. Um, there's an article that you wrote up on the up in site. Um, you know, what happened with this? Sure. So um, on Sunday, uh, there was a Carmen. Um, he had uh, 19 years of experience. Um, so, you know, uh, not a new, not a new employee. Um, and unfortunately, um, there was an incident incident um, involving remote controlled locomotives. This is according to um, the union that he was a part of, um, the Brotherhood of Railway Carmen, um, just affiliated with the Transportation Communications Union. Um, uh, and so, um, you know, he sustained injuries and actually um, um, succumbed to them. Um, so that's what's happening. Um, MTSB. Uh, had tweeted that uh, that they were um, sending invest an investigator investigators um, to look into the circumstances surrounding the incident. Of course, you know CSX and the unions. Um, well, obviously CSX is going to be involved. Um, typically, the unions are involved in these kinds of um, um, investigations as well. So um, that's kind of where things are. Uh, but it was interesting though because um, uh, the 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 union leaders. Um, you know, has, one of them has suggested that, you know, this is a, the first um, incident involving uh, remote controlled locomotives. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, when the other incidents um, involving remote controlled locomotives um, occurred, but still, you know, it, um, the union leader was saying, you know, this is something that the rail industry needs to look at, not necessarily saying, um, calling for regulation per se, although I think. In general, I think the unions uh, want to see some rail safety <laughs> regulations uh, uh, passed, whether through Congress or other means. Um, but um, but the but it's something that the the industry um, should look at. Um, I, I I to be honest, I, I don't know how much of remote control, you know, language related to remote control locomotives, how much of that was in the rail safety bill. Um, I probably don't probably not addressed so much but i you know don't 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 take my word for that um it was actually more other elements i think they were looking at like you know wayside detectors and um and you know of course the crew train crew size yeah i think but, that's right i mean i i think that that was really sort of it was focused on 
uh, things that led to that Norfolk Southern derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. And you think of uh, you know the the remote control locomotives; those are just used in in the yards, and it's something that enhances the efficiency of the yard operations. You don't have to get someone some someone doesn't have to go into the locomotive; they can use that um, remote control you know pack. Um, they showed us how to do that one time at a analyst uh, day. They sh- you could control the locomotive, have it go back and forth. Um, a, a, a few feet in neat technology. I mean, you think the the unions wouldn't like that just because it reduces the overall number of em- employees, and um, you can use your employees more efficiently if you can um, use those yard locomotives um, via remote control. But yeah, another unfortunate um, you know, incident. I, you know, they, the union referenced that there were this was the third fatality. I don't think we know when those other two that they were were referencing. Um, were I don't think they were talking about the two CSX trainees who died in in, in Maryland. Separate instance. They were talking about specifically because of the the, the remote controls. You don't know whether that was you know those were recent or or, or not. So yeah, um, yeah, this day. <laughs> yeah, it's something I need so, to check on. But yeah, but um, and unfortunately as well. I mean, you're right that uh, that uh, unrelated to yard operations. Well, I should take that back. But you know, unrelated to um, remote controlled locomotive operations. Um, you, know, you had that incident um, with the two conductor trainees um, at CSX. Uh, that happened, I think, like uh, June or July, and then another in August, or like with pretty within several weeks of each other. So, um, and then CSX had uh, called the conductor trainees back for for more training, and um, and uh, and then you also have um, CSX and and the union representing representing. Um, uh, train conductors kind of coordinating on, on training. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, um, you know, rail safety, even though, um, that the, there hasn't been much movement, uh, within Congress over that rail safety belts. It's still, um, I, I think, uh, a topic that the unions don't understandably, you know, don't want to, um, uh, fade, um, uh, it, you know, but to keep that issue with it in the spotlight. Absolutely. Um, I want to move on to uh, a lighter topic. Um, and at least I think it's a lighter topic. Uh, this is an article that Eric Kulish uh, wrote. So here we have a picture of an airplane. Uh, we're talking about airplanes and, and people speaking real. And there's good reason for that because BNSF uh, is compelled, compels this new airline, so startup, uh, to change its name in a trademark dispute. So this was Northern Pacific Airways is going to rebrand as new Pacific Airlines after a trade dispute with BNSF. How is this a trade dispute? Well, um, turns out that, you know, we know the, the class one railroads are the result of many mergers over the decades. And Northern Pacific, before it acquired Southern Pacific, became, um, uh, not Southern Pacific, acquired Santa Fe, become, become BNSF. Um, Northern Pacific merged with three other railroads to form Burlington Northern in 1970. And so Northern Pacific is a legacy class one railroad name, even if it hadn't used the name since 1970. So I guess if you're um, a history aficionado, you would know the name Northern Pacific. I didn't know the name Northern Pacific. Um, It's a little hard for me to imagine Someone confusing a, a, a an air um, airplane airline with a with a railroad, but I guess that's the rationale that that Eric cites in the article. The U.S. Patent Office 
rejected the registration of the Northern Pacific Airways name because of likely confusion with BNSF's brand, um, according to court documents. It's, it's, I find that hard to believe that, that someone could um, confuse those two things, com- confuse a, a startup airline with a railroad name um, from 1970. I, I can understand why someone confused BNSF Railroad with BNSF Logistics, uh, the part, the arm that was just acquired by um, by, by uh, JB Hans. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on this one? But, you know, it's just sort of, you actually, it just reminded me just now of um, uh, one of the things about the rail industry, and I say this in an endearing kind of way, um, is that, is that, uh, you know, people people do love their their history. I mean, you do talk not necessarily with with real buffs or like historians, but even just for people who worked in the industry for for a good time, and they'll refer to things that happened in the '60s and the '50s and the '70s, and it's like, of course, don't you know this? You know, so that's you know, <laughs> so it's it, it is something that the industry tends to do, and um, perhaps it's uh, simplistically a um, <laughs> sort of a culture clash, so to speak. Um, you know the industry. You know, has a very long memory, and um, and even though it happened fifty years ago, it, it it's still very much in the collective minds <laughs> of people. So maybe the Northern Pacific thing. Um, that, that's why. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that. I'll have to that's go back really and as kind of. I just, I just thought of it. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll have to go sure. back on. Um, Freight waves now and see if um, if Eric had a similar take as as, as I did. I'm sure he probably was on um, at least one time uh, this week, this past week, to, to talk about it. Uh, so, last ten seconds. What are you uh, working on in the next uh, next few days? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lawsuit um, that Progress Rail, uh, which is I, I believe a Caterpillar subsidiary. Um, yeah, they they produce locomotives and. Um, and there's an ongoing lawsuit. They actually filed it in like early September, but it's against um, WebTech and sort of saying that WebTech has um, um, is uh, the, the way that it's played the market is sort of as an anti, you know, sort of kind of uh, edging out all the competition. Um, so uh, just kind of looking at, at um, Progress's statement and also WebTech release a statement um, um, on the lawsuit. So that's ongoing. Um, and so that that's uh um that they're working on i mean they really are most of the market in yeah. in locomotives <laughs> right i mean they're kind of the market in locomotives but part of that's because their technology won out over progress rails technology used to be caterpillars technology um that's part of why there's been so much interest in that in that stock when i was, when I was a stock analyst i probably got more questions on on web tech than any other stock that i that i covered um so yeah, I'll definitely yeah. look forward to that. Plan yeah. on talking about that next yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. With that, um, hope everyone has a great day. Go sign up for our rail newsletter, which can be found at uh, the bottom of any of our rail articles. And uh, talk to everyone next week.